Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra. It's Halloween weekend. Election day is next week. What a time. But only a couple months left of 2020. It's hard to believe. So let's go through today's order. First, we'll cover our bases. I'll give some updates around the college softball world. Then we'll head into today's conversation with Ashley Hansen, aka Ashley Church now. We dive into all things infield, mental, physical, all of it. And then we'll wrap things up with a double play tip of the week. So let's get started. Covering our bases. It's hard not to talk about the MLB. What a World Series. I was sort of hoping for a Game 7 just for free baseball, but as a SoCal girl, I am glad to see LA come away with two championships this year between the Dodgers and the Lakers. Rams, where you at? They teed it up for you. But, you know, here's hoping there are no positive COVID tests in the middle of the Super Bowl. But even though we're not tailgating at the stadiums like usual, we can still be a part of it with Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, you have more options with BetOnline than anywhere. Don't sleep on the online casino. It's open 24-7. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. Remember, BetOnline is your online sportsbook experts. But speaking of LA sports, Tariah Flowers was named the head softball coach at Loyola Marymount. And this is a huge get for the Lions. I mean, there's the obvious from her background and her playing days, two-time Olympic medalist, UCLA Hall of Famer. All of that really speaks for itself because she knows exactly what it's like to compete at an elite level. But she's also translated that talent to coaching, which not everyone can do. Just because you're a great player doesn't mean you'll automatically be a great coach. And in her case, though, she's really established herself on that side of it. From leading CSUN softball for the last 10 years, you know, she was the Big West Coach of the Year in 2015 when they were conference champions, to being in charge of the U.S. Junior National Team for several years, to now being on the Tokyo-bound Senior National Team staff. She's covered a lot. And she knows L.A. too. She's played there. She's coached there. She gets it. And when you're recruiting, the location and community is a big part of a player's decision on where they want to go. And really, it has to be authentic. I feel like, from my experience at least, when I was being recruited, you can tell when it was authentic. And I was actually recruited by LMU. I went on a visit. It's beautiful. The softball program actually did really well in 2019. I think they're in good shape, and there are good things coming. And another good thing is that the inaugural winner of the Natasha Watley Scholarship for Social Change has been announced. And I mentioned this award previously on the show. It's in partnership with Sue Inquist, and it's awarded to an individual who is committed to break down barriers and create change within our sport. And the scholarship itself actually really breaks a barrier and provides financial assistance to attend this year's NFCA National Convention virtually. 
It also includes a one-year NFCA membership. And in 2021, it will include registration to the presumably, hopefully, in-person NFCA convention as well, including travel and accommodations. The first ever winner is Garland Shipley. He's the head coach at Clark University in NAIA softball. Coached for 22 years, started at the youth travel ball high school levels in Iowa, became the first African-American head softball coach in Iowa, coached for a while at the community college level as well. And he's also run clinics in the state to introduce softball to students of color, dedicated a lot of time to creating opportunities for youth players, coaches, and officials of color, and individuals from disadvantaged communities. And he did a lot of this in response to Iowa's low number of softball players of color and lack of African-American coaches. So his efforts really here are not only in line with the scholarship, but also the Natasha Watley Foundation in trying to share this game with everyone. So congrats to Garland for earning this and to Natasha for giving out the first one, the first scholarship recipient. It's really exciting. I think overall, there are solid moves being made in the college softball world. And that's fall softball for you though. And we've talked about it with a lot of guests, how the fall period is where you really grind it out as a team. Coaches do this, programs do this, and the players. You push yourself, you go hard on the field and in the weight room. You know, like Erica Piancaselli said, it's the difference maker. When you win that big game during the season in the spring, you remember the work you put in in the fall to get there. And this year is not straightforward. Some teams still aren't even on campus and players might be doing a lot on their own. And even the ones that are on campus are relearning ways to train to be safe with COVID protocols, et cetera. So it's all a major learning curve. And it's easy to get caught up in all the nuances, but we gotta focus on fundamentals and mindset, the controllables. And we'll do this with today's guest. You all know Ashley's a good friend of mine, one of my teammates at Stanford. She was my second guest ever here on Believe in Softball. Of course, obviously, she was also an All-American shortstop and the 2011 National Player of the Year. So safe to say she has great insight. We played next to each other in the dirt as well. And earlier this year, we had discussed all things infield. And these are really the type of things that are always applicable and especially helpful in a time like right now. So this is our never-before-aired conversation. Let's listen. So in the infield, there are obviously two big parts with the middle infield and the corners. So let's go ahead and break it down. And middle infield for you, Ashley, that was your forte in college. You spent most of your time at shortstop. In fact, you made the shortlist for ESPN's poll last year for the best NCAA shortstop of the last decade. Huge deal. Shortstops are clearly a huge part of the infield. What tools does a shortstop have to be successful? Yeah, that's a great question. And as I think about it, the standard answer for a lot of people would be good hands, quick release, the physical tools. But really, when I think about my time at shortstop, what I think is most important are the intangibles, such as leadership, communication, softball IQ. Uh, leveraging the examples from watching some games in St. Pete Clearwater Invitational, there was a situation, there was speed at second, there was speed at the plate, and the ball was hit deep into the 5-6 hole. The shortstop made an incredible play on the ball, but was a tad aggressive and went for the out at first. 
And it ended up getting by the first baseman, allowing a run to score. As I think back in my time and what I, what I took a lot of pride in is an alternative in that it would have been to put on a really strong pump fake. See if you can get the runner at second base to bite, draw her off of the base. The worst case in that situation is you end up with runners at first and second in a force out situation versus allowing a run by the errant throw that took place. And, you know, kudos for being aggressive. And that's definitely part of the game. However, leveraging some more softball IQ, I think it, it, it's the importance of shortstop and really evaluating the situation and having pre-pitch knowledge before putting you through different scenarios before the ball is actually hit to know where you're going to go, what you're going to do, and the options that you have at your fingertips. Absolutely. The instincts, like you said, softball IQ, completely. And that's why shortstop's considered to be the best infielder on the field, right? A lot of college coaches will recruit four shortstops to play all the infield positions for their program. And you do see a team full of what position did you play in high school? Shortstop, shortstop, <laughs> shortstop. And, uh, you know, I just, I myself played at once or at one time, all nine positions. And so just the importance of being versatile and learning the game holistically, because that plays into the softball like that's needed at the shortstop position, as well as understanding not just your position, but every position around you and being able to command the, the defense and being the captain of the defense, more or less. Yes. And you were super vocal too. Not only were you smart, but you vocalized it a lot, which I think for the rest of the team on the field, that's a huge bonus too. Absolutely. And it's something that I'm still super vocal. I still <laughs> communicate and talk a lot. Uh, my, my whole thought is I wanted to communicate and say what might happen before it happened so that everyone was on the, on the same page and there was no doubt, there was no room for doubt because it was already in the heads of not only myself, but I was vocalizing my train of thinking for everybody around me. And then when you take a look at the right side of the field, what are the most important characteristics of a second baseman on the other side of the middle infield? Yeah, I, I spent some time over there. That's actually where I, I initially started my entire playing career when I was six years old and started my uh, journey on club softball was at second base. Very similarly to shortstop when it comes to the physical attributes. The factor that I think gets the least attention is to have strong chemistry up the middle between your shortstop and second baseman. So you know it's good when you can give a quick look to each other and know exactly what the other one is thinking, where they're positioned, which situation they'll be at second base covering you or not. Um, and so just to double down on that concept of the importance of softball IQ, second base is arguably one of the most difficult positions, especially when it comes to bunt slap defense. The ability needed to read the hands of the lefty at the plate, position yourself at second base where you can both reach first base in the case of a bunt, second base in the case of a slap, is really one of the most challenging aspects of the game. It also warrants the least credit in the game. It's only noticeable when the second baseman isn't where she's supposed to be, but just getting there every time and being there is an amazing feat of athleticism that often doesn't get get much credit. Completely agree. A lot of movement, coverages, and you also have to have range in some of the stuff that applies to a shortstop too, but you're right. 
it's good instincts really for both, but the instincts are slightly different or you're focused on certain things over others in each situation. Nevertheless, having that knowledge is important. Absolutely. And I'd love to turn it back on you and, and ask, what do you think? You've played all over the diamond, including middle and field. What are the characteristics that you see between corners? You're right. Played everywhere but catcher in college, and you're well aware of that because I had the privilege of playing next to you at both corners in the infield throughout college. And I think for corners, it's really complementing the middle infield in a certain way. So, for example, at the Stanford Invitational, Hofstra softball had some absolute web gems. The freshman third baseman, Lindsey Hay, made it onto NCAA softball's Twitter and Instagram for just robbing a line drive. And so I think for third base, the hot corner for a reason. You have to have cat-like reflexes, right? But you also have to be fearless. You take shots over there. And you got to have fast hands both ways, you know, in the 5-6 hole and down the line. Having a good first step reaction also helps. And then something that applies to shortstop and third is having that strong throw across the diamond. But the biggest thing for me that I tend to look at when I'm watching games or calling games on air is never get beat in front. That was our biggest thing in bunt slap defense is having quick feet to handle any small ball and having confidence to make plays on the move. And the last thing I'd say is being assertive. So you're that priority on bunts or pop-ups around home plate and foul territory you know you have the best perspective and the momentum on the field so that's important as well as kind of being that wall over at third base for any throws because anything that gets past you can be a run so it's important to be aggressive there yeah absolutely never getting beat in front is a, is a key component to shortstop as well and actually was one of my favorite drills for infield so when I played on the the worth firecrackers is two six defense so or two five defense, mm. it was believed that, you know, the fastest players are typically 2.6 seconds down the line. And so if you could from contact to pop of the glove at first base, stay within 2.5 seconds, you could get anybody out in the country. And that was one of my favorite drills because it just, you were competing with yourself and against the clock more or less. And it added that pressure in a controlled environment at practice that really actually imitated the pressure that you face in a game as well. You're not competing against another individual, but you're still racing against the clock to, to stay under that 2.6 seconds. Yes, that's great. That's a great drill. And I think if you, as a third baseman, have that confidence in your shortstop, knowing that they can do that, you just get in their face for any lefties or anyone that could threaten with that small ball, you make them hit it by you. And if they do tip your cap to them, but otherwise you don't give them anything up front because you know, your shortstop has your back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then for first base, you know, you talked about, there's a little extra nuance there on the right side for middle infield. And I would have to say the same for the corners as well. You know, it's pretty straightforward, but there are more aspects than most people realize. You know, you obviously you cover the bag for almost every infield play. You have to have a good glove and it helps to have a big wingspan so that you can handle a wide range of tough throws in the dirt above your head. You're really a receiver in that way. And yes, the same thing with third base, you know, it helps to have light feet to get to bunts and, and make sure you can get back to cover the bag in time for everything. The other thing too, that people forget a lot is that you are often the cutoff man for things hit to the outfield and plays at the plate. So you really should have a good sense of alignment and spatial awareness. The outfielders use you as a guide for those plays. 
So it's helpful to make sure that you're setting it up well for them. And then again, you know, the quick reactions left and right, same thing in the corners. That's just part of having that corner position. I'll also add in flexibility. I had the most fun at first base stretching for balls to steal outs, double plays. You have to be good at reading the trajectory of the ball and catching it where it's actually thrown. It's like hitting. You hit it where it's pitched. Well, you catch it where it's thrown in this case. See it out of their hand. And you can actually move toward it by pushing off the bag with your back foot and guiding your momentum in the right direction to get it quickly. And it's kind of fun. You can make it fun. As a shortstop, having a really solid first baseman allows you to make some of those aggressive plays that you'd otherwise not, you know, not consider throwing the ball. Uh, there was many times where a ball's deep in the hole. I had good arm strength, but there's times you just got to get rid of it and, and bounce it over to right. them. And knowing that there's a first baseman on the other end who's going to body up on the ball, keep that ball in the infield, potentially make a play on it or a great stretch to help you out. Those are the web gems. Those are the, the moments and momentum turners of games that it takes, it takes two in order to do that. It takes somebody on the receiving end, a really strong first baseman to make you feel comfortable in, in going out and being aggressive on some of those plays, you know, on the left side of the infield. Yes. And like you said, with second base, a little bit of an unsung hero in that regard too. the right side kind of overlooked by all the amazing throws and great plays on the left side, but it really all works together, all the pieces of the puzzle. Well, when we would practice our defensive skills back in our day, you know, both infielders and outfielders would do drills to start. Then it always seemed like though, Ash, that we had the tougher draw for the rest of practice. And yes, I do mean crossfire. Are you triggered? Yes, yes. It brings <laughs> back great, great memories. <laughs> The, so. the silver lining is that I just remember some of the most amazing sunsets that I would be able to look at coming down over Hoover Tower that really just helped find my zen while we were just <laughs> wearing it ball after ball being hit at us. Cup half full. I like that approach. So for our listeners, crossfire was when our coaches would hit grounders to us infielders at practice. You know, we'd start on the left side field and throw across the diamond. And then we'd switch, the right side would do the same thing. But the thing is, is that it was nonstop. Most of us took grounders at more than one position. So we were constantly moving, you know, imagine diving for a ball, throwing it across the field and having to get up and sprint to go get the next one. You know, meanwhile, the outfielders were getting a couple of fly balls, maybe every few minutes, it just seemed easy, but maybe that's another episode. <laughs> Other memories of Crossfire. Anything else that sticks out? Again, what I loved was it was a chance to just go all out and to really go make crazy plays, which is what I love about shortstop and about playing middle infield is that you know those are the momentum turners. And I always wanted to change the, the momentum of the game by making a diving play. So I just remember that, you know, getting up from crossfire, being absolutely covered in dirt, diving left and right, trying to make these and then making those aggressive plays, building that confidence with your first baseman on, okay, what can they handle? What can't they? And it just builds that camaraderie and trust over time. Uh, those are some of the, the best times as much as it leaves you exhausted. You'll never face that in a game. And therefore it makes the game easy. It, it makes it seem like it's a piece of cake after, after the intensity of practicing so much harder and faster than you'll ever experience in a game. 
needless to say, this is why our coaches always said there's a difference between being in shape and being in ground ball shape. And this is exactly why. So many memories we share from the infield and just really playing together in general, to be honest, but from ground ball after ground ball at practice to super regionals, the whole gamut and the common denominator other than our friendship, of course, was our fundamentals. And hey, we got plenty of double plays out of it too, which were fun. So on that note, we'll head into the double play tip of the week. Days away from election day means that this week's double play tip is about voting. So physically, execute, just vote. We're only a few days away, so hopefully you've made a plan by now. Just get it done and do it the way that works best for you. For those of you who have requested mail-in ballots and got those, because we're so close to election day at this point, I highly recommend physically going in in person if you're able to. You can drop your ballot off at an official drop box. Make sure it has official markings on it. In California, we actually had a list of official drop off locations included with our sample ballot. So this is what I did. And I also signed up online to track my ballot and got the notification that it was received and that it will be counted. So that approach worked for me, or given how close we are, you can go to your local polling place to trade in your mail ballots and vote in person right then and there. Just do it old school. I know a lot of people who have done it this way and it's gone really smoothly so far. So double check the info for your state and county and execute. And mentally, you know, while you're doing this, think about it as using your voice. And everybody always says that, I feel like, during election season. But, you know, for us women, it's only been 100 years since we were even able to vote. And it's been even less than that for other groups in our community. But we can and we should. Everyone should. Absolutely vote for the presidential candidate. But there's also the state propositions, local candidates, and measures. These are often the decision makers or deciding factors for what happens in your local community. And you know what, the propositions can be confusing, let's be honest. There's conflicting language in some of the sample ballots and the arguments for and against. There's completely opposite messaging in the TV ad. It can be a little hard to figure out, but just do your best. Do the research, try to make as educated of a decision as possible, but just do your best. Go with your gut. That's the goal, just use your voice. So that's the physical and mental side of voting. Execute and use your voice. That's the double play tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, available anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Believe.com. No matter where you listen, we got you covered. And here's the big three. Subscribe, rate, and write a review for the show. You can also continue to share the episodes on social media with family and friends, etc. Hit me up on Twitter as usual at JennaBacera01 and Instagram at JennaBacera. Thank you for tuning in and catch you soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.